0: He's got a word from the Lord this morning for us. And then tonight, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, He is going to pour into us the gift of evangelism. Uh, that fivefold ministry we've looked at and as a leadership we've been praying to expand in our midst, He is coming to impart unto us. So I'm asking you to come back tonight at 7, Monday at 7, Tuesday at 7, uh, uh, all, all those weeks till Wednesday nights. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, that's it. Come at 7 and uh, uh, come here for an impartation. This isn't just coming to hear a speaker, this is coming to receive something that we as a church need and want to impart into the community. Amen? And so I would like you to welcome our brother Cecil Peasley at this time. Well, what an exciting service. Praise the Lord. eh? Thank you so much for the opportunity to be able to be with you today and the next few days. And uh, I always have to explain when I come to a church that I've not been to before, that I do not suffer from a speech impediment. Our English happens to be a little different to yours. Of course, when your great preachers come to our country with your use of the King's English, we usually have to have somebody with the gift of interpretation. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes our terminology is a little different as well. I remember the first time I came to this country some years ago with a fellow pastor. We were sitting in a restaurant And the waitress comes along and says, now, would you guys like a napkin? I said, well, if you think we need one. And you see, the word for napkin in South Africa is the word for diaper. (laughs) But I think we'll get along. And if there's anything I say that you're not quite clear on, please feel free to interrupt and ask me to repeat but it's a joy to be with you. I'm just completing a seven-week uh, trip to your country, starting in Oklahoma City and going around to Texas and Florida and up to Ohio and Pennsylvania and here, and next week finish up in New York. And I'm so grateful for the opportunity. I have a great burden in my heart for what is happening in this country at this time. If ever there is an hour when there's a need for a fresh breath of revival, uh, it's today. And may God grant it. Do you plan to be with us? I've come 12,000 miles to be with you. If you come across the street to be with me. Amen? And we're going to look at some very important things. Because you see, the church has a, a mission that we cannot forsake. And that mission doesn't just rest on the soldiers of, shoulders of just one or two folks in the church. It's the body of Christ. And... Someone has said that the church today is one generation away from extinction. Unless we change gears and get back to a New Testament church, we'll be regarded as belonging to another century. So my prayer is that God will use this. be my privilege to preach the gospel in every continent of the world. And I can honestly stand before you today and say that I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it still is the power of God, unto salvation. Amen? If you can't shout amen, just breathe heavily, I know you're alive. (laughs) Amen and amen. Right, we're going to turn to the Word of God, uh, to the book of Genesis, back in the Old Testament. If ever there's a book that's been attacked, it's Genesis. You don't find the critics attacking the book of Obadiah. (laughs) But Genesis, the account of creation, the account of man, the account of the fall of man, the account of marriage, all these things are here. And the enemy will do anything he can to rip this out of the Bible. But I would rather trust what the Bible has to say than what some of the philosophers today have to say about where we came from and where we're going. And we thank God for the truth here. But we're going to go across to chapter 28 and read from verse 10 and then a few verses from verse 32 as we look at this, this amazing story here, in starting at Genesis chapter 28 and reading from verse 10. Now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head and he lay down in that place to sleep. Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, and the land on which you lie I will give you and your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the, to the north and the south. And in you and in your seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. That's quite a conclusion to draw, isn't it? That you don't even realize that God is here and God is there to minister to us. Um... And he, he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Then Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put on his head, set it up as a pillow, and poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of that city had been Luz previously. Then Jacob vowed a vow, saying, If God will be with me and keep me in this way that I am going, Give me bread to eat and clothing to put on, so that I come back to my father's house in peace. Then the Lord shall be my God. The stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house. Of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to thee. Now we go across to chapter 32. It's ten years later, uh, twenty years later in Jacob's life. A lot of water has passed under the bridge, as it were. And now we find in chapter 32, verse 22, and he rose that night, and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons, and crossed over the fjord of Jabbok. He took them, sent them over the brook, sent over with what he had. Then Jacob was left alone, and the man wrestled with him, until the breaking of day. When he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said, what is your name? He said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked, saying, Tell me your name, I pray. And he said, Why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Just as he crossed over Peniel, the sun rose on him, and he limped. On his th- hip, may the Lord add his blessing to his word. Shall we bow for just a brief moment in quietness as we ask God in his faithfulness to speak to all of our hearts? The Lord is amongst us. His voice is still alive and active and vocal. He summons and calls. He reaches out to where we are. He knows our thoughts, our struggles. He knows the issues that we face, the problems with which we wrestle. And He longs to reveal himself. He longs that we will be able to prove him. Therefore, O oh God, grant that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart Shall be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. There are two verses that I want us to focus on in the passages that we read a moment ago and seek to connect them. The first is here in chapter 28, where Jacob is on the run. He's in trouble. He's running from home. He's running from his sins, he's running from reality. And it says here, so he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. Then 20 years later, here in chapter 32, we also read in verse 31, after this encounter that he has, with God, as He crosses Peniel at the brook Jabbok. It says, following this, when He said, I've seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. It says here, just as He crossed over Peniel, the sun rose upon Him. In other words, there was a time in Jacob's experience when the sun was set and for 20 long years he floundered in darkness running from place to place from experience to experience from crisis to crisis then he has a rendezvous with God he has a God experience and the Bible says and the sun began to rise again in Jacob's life. And as I thought of that, you know, there are so many today that have passed through a similar kind of experience. For some reason, sometimes thanks to our own folly, sometimes because of circumstances, the sun sets on our lives. And into darkness we stumble. We might still be in church. We might still be singing our songs. Going through all the routines and rituals. But it's all in darkness. The joy and the romance has gone. For a long time, it's darkness. Our prayer lives grow sterile, stagnant. Our appetite for the things of God are reserved for Sunday. And it's in darkness that we dwell until one day the sun begins to rise again within our lives. I want us to look at this account here from a number of points of view. The first is the shadows of the setting sun. The shadows of the setting sun. You see, long before the sun had set, there were shadows that were stealing across the pathway of Jacob. At first he did not realize how these were busy clouding out and eclipsing the sun until one day he wakes up and the sun has set. What are some of these shadows that we see in his life that were stealing across his pathway? The first is what I call his response to his circumstances. You see, Jacob found himself raised in difficult circumstances. He was raised in a home that was troubled, a home that was divided. This seemed to have been a generational curse that flowed through into that home and he has a mother that teaches him how to deceive and a spirit of deception came into his home whereby he was able to deceive his own brother of the blessing that was supposed to come into his life. He deceived his own brother in terms of his birthright And although he had won the fight with his brother, he didn't realize that you can win the fight but lose the war. Before he knew what had happened, a shadow had come across his pathway. And instead of reacting to the circumstances and to the falsity and to the deception that had come into that home and the brokenness of that home, we find his response was he began to absorb... The evil that had come into that home and a spirit of deception now characterized the life of Jacob. In fact, the name Jacob meant simply supplanter, deception. Deception is one of the worst things that can happen in a person's life. And when we practice that spirit of deception, darkness begins to prevail within our lives. It was not only his response to his circumstances, but response to his problems. You see, in chapter 27, you'll read all about it, how that he appeared before his father. His mother had made a plan how that he could rob his brother of his birthright. His brother Esau had been sent out to go and kill a deer and bring back some venison for the father. And for some reason, his mother wanted Jacob to have that blessing. So she made a plan. You see, these two brothers were completely opposite. Uh, Esau was a hairy man, a rough man from out in the country. Jacob was a smooth man in more ways than one. And we find that Jacob had a smooth complexion. So what had needed to happen was because uh, Isaac was half blind or probably officially blind, we find that he would feel the arms of the brothers when they approached him. If it were hairy arms, that's Esau. If it were smooth arms, that's Jacob. So what what does she do? She kills a goat and she takes the skins and she puts them over the arms of Jacob. Jacob stands before his father and declares he's brought the venison. He said, God has blessed me and I'm back so quickly. Here's the venison. Now where's the blessing? And the father says, come near my son. Let me feel your arms, and he feels his arms, and this is what the father said about Jacob. He said this, the voice is Jacob's, but the arms are the arms of Esau. You sound like one person, Jacob, but you feel like someone else. You talk about a schizophrenia. You talk about a life that's living a double kind of life, you see, And by doing this, he thought he was smart. He could deceive his father and get away with it. He could get the blessing he wanted and get away with it. But my friend, it left a pang within his heart whereby he was never happy with what he got. You see, through deception, you can get what you want in life, but you also get what you don't want. And Jacob found that now he was living in a world of broken relationships with his own brother, with his own father, with his own home, with his own family, and Jacob finds that the only alternative was to run and try and get away from himself and try and get away what he had done and try and get away from the world that was now crowding in on him and he runs from church to church and from place to place and finds that his problems can run faster than he can run. Jacob The clouds are gathering. The darkness is descending. Your pathway is getting darker and darker. You're running from your circumstances. You're running from your sin. You're living a double kind of life. You've camouflaged everything. And you think you can get away. Reminds me of the story of a man that was looking for a job one day. And he made his way to a circus. And he knocked at the Caravan door of the manager of the circus and said, you got any jobs for me? He said, no, we've got enough clowns, we don't need you. And he walked away rather despondent and uh, the guy called him back. He said, hang on, maybe you can help us out. We've got a problem here. You see, the kids from the school are coming up tomorrow to see the chimpanzee act. Unfortunately, the chimpanzee died last night. And if you're prepared to put on the skin of this chimpanzee and do a few acts like a chimpanzee, we'll give you the job. Well, you know, when you're hungry, it's amazing what you'll do. And uh, he he took on this job. For some people, it's not difficult to perform as a chimpanzee. And uh, he finds himself, he gets into the skin of this chimpanzee, and he does a number of tricks. And one of the things he was trying to do was he was swinging on a rope. And he would swing around, and as he was swinging around, the rope would take him right over the lion cage that was open at the top. Well, you can imagine what happened when that, that rope snapped. And the, the uh, chimpanzee <laughs> falls onto the back of the lion. And for a moment he forgets himself and says, Don't attack me! I'm not a chimpanzee! I'm a human being! And just then he hears a voice saying, If you don't keep your big mouth shut, we'll both lose our jobs. <laughs> So much of life is like that. You don't have to go to Hollywood to find an actor. You'll find them in many of our churches. This was the life of Jacob. It was all just now This was all just word. It was all just an act. When we tried that game, shadows steal across our pathway. But then you'll notice something else. His reaction or response to to revelation because you read here in Chapter 28 and verse from verse about 15 onwards. While he's sleeping, he's having rather a rough sleep on that rock of a pillar. All this happens when you're out of the will of God. And uh, God appears. And God makes promises to him. He says, I want to redeem you. I've got a purpose for your life, Jacob. What are you doing run away, running away from me? What are you doing living this kind of life and living on in, in darkness? And God promises to him. Then take a look at what Jacob, how Jacob responds to that revelation. He says, Yeah, he tries to strike a deal with God, like we all do. And uh, so, verse 29, then Jacob vowed a vow saying, If God will be with me, there he is, spelling out his terms, and keep me in the way that I am going, and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord could be my God. What a deal. Here he is. If God can come on my terms, see, if God blesses me and heals my child and gives me a job and heals my marriage, then I will be a good Christian. You see, the moment we try and deal with God and try and reduce him to our terms, a darkness out of our lives. And we travel in darkness. The shadows of the setting sun. You know, sometimes those shadows steal across our pathway, and we don't even realize it until it's too late. The next thing we notice about the story is not only the shadows of the setting sun, but the despair of the darkness. Because you see, friends, Jacob is now in darkness for 20 years, but look what happened. You know, someone has said that we have control over the choices we make in life, but we have no control over the consequences of those choices. And Jacob flounders in darkness. There was a chaotic lifestyle that overtook him there. You see, he runs away from his home, and he runs, ends up in the backyard of an uncle by the name of Uncle Laban. Now, if Jacob was a deceiver, Uncle Laban was even a greater deceiver. And so he runs into the arms of someone that's going to deceive him on every issue. What's happening is in darkness. Uh, the problem comes up with his job. When it comes to payday, old Laban has got poor old, old Jacob in trouble because he cheats him on his pay packet. And Jacob is upset. And so he goes to work, and he begins to loathe his work because he's been cheated there. Then Jacob gets a bright idea and says, you know, I think I'll save some problems. for I'll get married. Well, (laughs) the Bible says, he saw Rachel and he wanted to marry her. But, he got married at night in the darkness, the Bible says. Young people, never get married at night. <laughs> he wakes up the next morning in the local Holiday Inn, and guess what? He's got the wrong wife. He's been deceived when it comes to this important institution. He's married to Leah. He didn't love Leah. He married Rachel. But old Laban got him. And he's made this terrible mistake of having to live with a woman that he doesn't love. We talk about hell on earth. You see, a loveless marriage. Why? He's in darkness. You can't make important decisions living in darkness. Well, Jacob's not beaten yet. He said, if that marriage was a failure, I'll get married again. Seven years later, he marries the girl he loves, Rachel. But now, he's got two women in the same kitchen. (laughs) And these two are in conflict. The reason being, Leah can have children, but Rachel can't. And if a woman, a Hebrew woman, did not have children, it was a curse. That's the reason why she was born. And so the one woman is teasing, is mocking wife number two. So when Jacob goes home, when Jacob goes to work, he leaves two women fighting there, he goes to work and he's been cheated in the office at work, and he runs from one enemy to the next. Why? He's in darkness. And also there's a silent detective after him. The Bible tells us that there came a day when he gets a message, I don't know if it was a fax or an email or what, but he got a message. Your brother is after you. Your past has not forgotten you. He's got 400 soldiers. Your skeletons in the past are beginning to rattle Jacob. And Jacob now is in trouble. Because he can't get away from what's happened in the past as it stalks him. robs him of his joy. He's in darkness. The terrifying possibilities of the future. As he has to separate himself from all the possessions he's accumulated. The gods he's formed down here have failed him miserably. And Jacob finds himself in a pit of despair. The despair of the dark. You there, my friend? You don't belong there. Which takes me to the next thought as we move on. It's called the dawning of a new day. 20 years later, we read here in chapter 32, all these things have happened now. Jacob's gone through 20 terrifying years, sickening years. It says here, and Jacob was left alone with himself, his worst enemy, and he's alone. Sometimes that's where we have to get. Is alone. And where he was alone, there was a battle that he would have to lose to find himself. That battle was with God. No matter how much he wrestled with God, it was a battle he would have to lose if he was going to come out of this situation. There is a battle you're going to have to lose. It's your battle with God. Because like the hound of heaven, he tracks us down. He pins us in a corner and he says it's time to get out of that rut you've got yourself into because the only difference between a rut and a grave is death. You can't live like this forever, but I love you and I'm prepared to fulfill my promises in your life that I made 20 years ago. But Jacob, you're going to have to lose that battle now as you try and fight me and resist me the battle with the pride in your heart the battle with all the tactics and manipulations that you could produce to try and live behind that false makeup screen in your life you can't live behind a mask anymore you can't live behind that camouflage anymore it's time you lost that battle what a bitter pill for this man who lived by his wits for so long by the smartness of his intellect Now, you see, friends, that battle was the dawning of a new day. The sun was beginning to rise. The shadows had to go. If we want to sow good seeds into our lives, we've got to pull out the weeds first. And he goes through that ordeal. Then he has to come to a place of identification. What is your name? My name. Is Jacob a deceiver? That's me. You can't run away from your name, Jacob. It's with you wherever you go. That's your identity. And God is saying, I want to give you a new identity by which you be known and recognized. Still he struggles. And you know what happens? God has to do something to get the man's attention. He strikes him it was a painful blow. Which you see, friends, if we will not hear, we have to feel. And for the rest of his life, he would limp now. But this was God trying to reach into his life. Not out of judgment, out of love. The dawning of a new day. Things have been happening in your life that you can't understand or explain. He's after you. Because he loves you and he will not let you go because he wants to bless you which brings us to the final thought the sunshine of salvation and the Sun began to rise again my friend the Sun can rise again this very day in your life I call this message the God of another chance. I used to call it the God of a second chance until I saw how many chances he's given me. You see, he wants to give you another chance. What a moment. Because you see, after this, look at this sunshine of the, he'd have a new day by which he'd be, a new name by which he'd be identified in verse 38, 28. He'll have a new power. He'd use power in his life to manipulate others. But now he would have a new power to walk for God and live for God. A new walk. He'd never walk the same again because of that limb. He'd have a new vision. He would be able to say, I have seen God face to face. My knowledge of God is not what I got from a book or what I heard someone else say. My knowledge of God is what he's, what's happened in my life. It's real. you know him like that, my friend? This is the sunshine of a new day. He longs to break through like that. A new life. And my life is extended. It should have been wiped out. Oh, Esau was still on the way. The past was still on the way. But he could face Esau now, not from the old Jacob's perspective, but from Israel's perspective. He could face life. Why? Because the sun had risen again. There's a verse back in the book of Hebrews. You'll turn with me to Hebrews 11 as we close. It's this final epitaph. Hebrews chapter 11 is the account of the heroes of faith. And we call it the great Westminster Abbey of the Bible. All the great heroes of faith are listed. Um, Sir Winston Churchill never wanted to be buried in the Westminster Abbey. He didn't like the company. But, um, here in chapter 11 we find that right from Abel to Enoch to Abraham to Sarah and then we'll find here in verse 21 Yes, who's there he should never have been there after all look what he's done in his life he's wasted 20 years of the life God had given to him but he's here you see grace covers it all With sin abounds grace does more abound by faith Jacob, when he was dying, what's happening now? The sun is setting of this world and the sun is rising of another world. The sun of eternity is beginning to roll, as it will for all of us. Three things happen here. He blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. The first is he had a support to carry him through in that crisis. You see, you can't put into the life of a dying man who's rejected God all his life all the faith he suddenly needs. It's got to be cultivated down through the years. You can't wait until the day before you die before you get spiritual all of a sudden. The next is, he's able to leave a blessing for his grandchildren, not even his children. He has something to pass on. Now we all know that when it comes to Someone dying, there are plenty of relatives around all of a sudden. Because there's a will going to be read. You see, They want to see if they're included. Look at the legacy he left. He was able to grant a blessing to them and to the children. What are we passing on to the generation, friends? Our dull, useless, empty life of failure? Or the sunshine of God's grace? A blessing to pass on. And finally, he dies worshiping God. What a way to die. You see, we die as we live. I've watched men die. Some die cursing. I've watched dying missionaries out there in Africa die. And they die rejoicing to meet the Savior. The sun has risen. My friend, can I ask you this morning? Is there something deep down that echoes in your heart that says, God, I need another chance. I've learned it. I've pretended for so long. No one even knows the battles that are raging in my soul and the darkness that's holding me back. I look at others and I envy them. It's not real in my life. The sun can rise. The Son of Righteousness has risen with healing in His wings. He can rise this morning and give to you exactly what you need. Not what you want, but what you need. And His grace is sufficient for each one of us. Why don't we bow in a moment of prayer? Just ask God to interpret His Word into our hearts here today. Father. We thank you for your word, for its truth. We thank you for the power of the gospel. But above all, we thank you that you came to seek and to save that which was lost. You saw us in our need. You saw us desperate. You've seen us as we've lost our first love, as we've drifted. We've got trapped and caught in the snares of this world. Are we being deceived ourselves? But the falsity of life, we need to experience the one that alone is, the light of the world. The one that is alone, the way, the truth, and the life. And I pray that right now, if there is that deep echo within our hearts that says, I need another chance, you'll deliver us from wrestling with God. May we lose that fight with him and find that we are more than conquerors through him that loves. My friend, if God has spoken to you, as you sit in that seat this morning, you've sensed something that says, that's me. Somehow the shadows have begun to take their toll. Darkness has been there too long in your soul. You long for another chance, for the sun to rise again. My friends, if that's the longing, then God has created that desire, and he will fulfill it. We'd love to pray for you and with you. We trust God to meet that need so you can leave this building sure in your heart, He's given me another chance. Would you raise your hand? At-